This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show, where we talk art. Greetings, this is Victor Gartner, your host to Where We Talk Art, recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda and produced by Partnership for the Arts Group. Today, our guest is Cahal Dunn, an Irish singer, a pianist, storyteller, just a general entertainer. In, in fact, he can do just about everything and anything. In 1979, he won the Eurovision Song Contest with a song called Happy Man. He also won a couple of other contests besides that. He has an album out called Silly Songs and More, and he has recently written a book called Athen Rai, and that's going to be produced into a mini-series. And he will be coming to Punta Gorda again for the sixth time in March uh, to do this a production called Choir Play, which we'll, we'll be talking about in just a little while. Hold on, don't go anywhere. We're going to be back in just a moment. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at PFTA Talk Show. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. We are back. Kahal Dunn, thank you very much for being here and welcome to Where We Talk Art. It's a pleasure, Victor. Good morning and good morning to all your great listeners. Oh, I tell you, we are we are pleased to have you. This is kind of a spur of the moment thing that we were doing this morning. And uh, sometimes technology gets in the way, but when it finally gets uh, gets going the way we want it to, it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Um, I, I have ignored the uh, tech revolution, unfortunately. I just kept practicing my piano and singing and learning and writing, and I'm not exactly... Uh, tech savvy, unfortunately, at all. Well, I'm not really either. And it was a big deal for me to learn how to use some of this technology required to do a podcast. But I'm here and you're here and that's what counts. Exactly. Kahal, as soon as you speak, I know that our listeners are going to detect the iris lilt in your accent. So where exactly were you born and raised? I was born in Cork City, which is the southernmost part of Ireland. It's uh, the county of Cork is the second, the, the biggest county in Ireland, but the second biggest city. Dublin, of course, on the east coast being the bigger one. I was born in the mid 50s. Uh, I showed a little sort of talent for a little bit of piano playing. My grandmother on my dad's side died in Waterford. And the only thing that dad inherited was the sort of beaten up upright piano. And at three years old, I was fascinated that I could bang something and get a bit of music out of it. And apparently we start music school early in Ireland at four. She was, I went to an all Irish speaking school. Unfortunately, due to our history, we speak English uh, mostly in Ireland. And, but this lovely lady, Mrs. Kylie or Banny Kyla, as we called her, uh, she taught us these lovely old Irish, simple little Irish songs, and it helped us um, learn Irish. And I, I, you know, being a musician, sort of as against a mathematician, I had a good ear, I suppose. 
and I was good at Irish, but I corrected her, apparently. She was playing one little song that I knew, and she, she had this little one-octave sort of piano thing, very primitive, with run-on batteries. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, was, she was making a mistake, and it was driving me up the wall, and I said, you're wrong. And she sort of said, I suppose you can play it. I said, I can. And I went up and I played it. And uh, she said, I want to see your mother. And I said, that's trouble immediately, of course. But when mum came in, um, she said, that guy's got a bit of an ear and I'm sending him down to the School of Music. Ooh. So luckily it was just around the block in Cork. And I had, a for the rest of my life, more or less, up to about 20, I had a piano lesson every Friday. And um, I, I had a sort of a parallel type um, musical career with her trying to beat classical music into me and me sort of enjoying the more pop stuff, you know. So I, right now, I enjoy every genre of music uh, thanks to her and thanks to, you know, the radio and thanks to all the experiences I've had. I've had a, a lovely life um, and I've managed to um, make a living out of what I love, which supposedly is the um, essence of what one should be to make one happy. And um, I consider myself incredibly lucky, truly, uh, to have come to America in 1984, started all over again here. But um, I didn't set the world on fire musically, but I had enough um, work to give me uh, a nice living. And I love, love, love coming to Flo Florida in the winter, and we, we we winter in Punta Gorda. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, I didn't realize that that you wintered down here because I you're, I oh, know yeah. that you're up in Pennsylvania during uh, during during we, the summer. We, we live we live in Pittsburgh, which is lovely. Um, it's got the hills and the valleys like Ireland, a couple of rivers. I miss the ocean, of course, as you do. I mean, you're from Maine. I mean, that rugged yes. coastline is stunning. Well, that's what I miss because in Ireland. Um, you can stand in Ireland, the furthest point away from the coast is 70 miles, anywhere you are in Ireland. Normally, okay. we were in Cork, we were about four miles from the coastline, and we could drive down very quickly and take a walk on the beach. I missed that. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yep. I lived near the ocean uh, most of my life, yes, yep. so yep. It's, yep. it's near and dear to me. Uh, the water attracts human species i don't know i don't know why but maybe if there's something quieting and very soothing to the soul when you're walking a beach isn't there yes there is for sure yeah. now when you grew up in in ireland did you have a big family it was a medium-sized family we, we there was five in our family three girls and two boys and that was medium and um, i know one family they were called Mr. and Mrs. Langford. They had 21 children. And wow. um, yeah, the, the highlight, we went to Mass, and the highlight of my Mass was when they'd arrive in their Volkswagen and they'd all get out one by one. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the most funny thing. I would have loved at a camera, just sort of the, the smallest gets out, then they get bigger, 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 bigger. And finally, Mum and Dad come out. It was just hilarious. Oh, but, my goodness. They probably um, had one stuffed in the glove compartment. <laughs> well, there, was, there, there were three there. <laughs> if you remember that little back in a little Volkswagen Beetle, that was where you put your luggage. That's right. There was at least three of them in there. And we, we had a Volkswagen, too, in Ireland. So I know what I'm talking about. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, there were great, there were great days, innocent days. My dad was a school teacher. Mum was a homemaker. Uh, in fact, she was much smarter than my dad. But in those days, the girls were, as mum would say, given any old job until they got married. Uh, and then, fair play to mum, she was uh, obsessed with us all getting an education. And thus, any if any of us showed a little talent or interest in anything, she zoned in on that, i.e. my music classes, you know? Right. Did, yeah. did other people in your family, your other brothers or sisters, have have any uh, musical talent or opportunities to go to musical school like you did? Oh, they, we all sort of did. Um, my sister Geraldine, uh, she's in Waterford now. She was a teacher all her life, but she's a, a lovely a cellist. Hmm. And um, she's still teaching cello and she's in the local orchestra. Um, she sort of toured a little bit with you might remember the Clancy brothers and yes. Tommy Makem. She toured with Liam Clancy towards the end of his career in America. So there's a good music. And my dad um, was in several male voice choirs in Cork. So there was always music around the family. Um, my uncle on mum's side, Jack Lynch, was um, one sort of possibly the equivalent of Tom Brady in, in his time in Ireland. He oh, nice. won what would be the equivalent of eight Super Bowl medals for Cork in football and hurling. And he went on to become a very prominent politician, etc. Good-looking lawyer. He had the whole package. Was, but, wasn't he a, a, a prime minister? or? Uh, yeah, he, he was, yeah. yeah. Jack, Jack Lynch was his name. Good for you. Uh, but he, um, he, unfortunately, and Maureen, his wife, had no children. But mom and his brothers and sisters had loads. But not one of us, not one of us could kick a ball straight to save our lives. And it was very, he was very, um, I think, upset about that. And then when he heard that his one of his nephews in Cork was taking piano lessons, at the time in Ireland, um, that was maybe just one step up from a boy having ballet classes, you know? Oh, I see. I see. Very, <laughs> not terribly macho, but... Um, I tried very hard to go on the the, the the field and be good like him. But um, in those days, they didn't have an under 11, under 12, under 13, that type of league. You'd have a sort of an 18-year-old fella, big gorilla of a guy marking me. And every time I got the ball, I got green. And I was beginning to sort of get a little bit of looks from the girls at 12 and 13 playing the piano. So I just said, this is much more comfortable. And, uh, whenever we go back now to Cork, I bring a tour to Ireland every year. I've been doing it for the last 30 years. Uh, we have a lovely trip, uh, just nine, ten days, you know, lovely hotels, etc. But then um, we walk the main street in Cork, Kathleen and I, and I see some of those guys that used to literally beat me up on the field, and they're all crippled as they hobble along. You know? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I, I'm sort of getting the last laugh. I'm still, my hips and things are still good. Good for you. Good for you. Well, uh, Carl, you you had a life with a with a robust family. You 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 were established in your community, and at some point, you decide that you're going to leave that and come to the states. What what was the attraction in, in the states that pulled you away from friends and family, and country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a huge tug and. 
interestingly, uh, the longer and further away from Ireland I am, the more Irish I've become uh, many ways, especially historically. Uh, here's the deal. You remember the recession in 1979, oh, yes. the gas shortages, the crazy mortgage prices. We really got hit in Ireland. We don't have the natural resources that you have here. Um, I had just come out of college, degree in music. I was beginning to be a music teacher, but I loved playing. And I entered a song contest uh, called the National Song Contest in Ireland. That heads out, if you win it, you ultimately go to the Eurovision Song Contest. And that is, a, at the time, a huge song festival for about 20 years in Europe. For example, nobody had heard of ABBA before they won the Eurovision with Waterloo in 1974. Had they not won that, nobody would have heard of ABBA. I, I nobody, had no idea. Celine Dion, for example, in 1986, she sang for Switzerland in French. She's fabulous French-Canadian, as you know. Yes, she is. Yes. Uh, so, like, this was a big thing. And I won the Irish section with a song I wrote in 1979 and went on to Eurovision. And unfortunately, I did not win that. I, I came fifth. But um, I came back to Ireland um, after the win for Ireland, sort of, and it gave me a very good year. And it was sort of like COVID. It, the whole country just sort of closed down. People just simply didn't have the money to go to a dance or to a club. And I had two choices, um, go back to teaching and possibly do wedding bands in the weekends or leave. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this music and the game of playing and uh, the joy that you get from an audience when things are all going well, sounds yes. good, everything is right. Very, it, it's very consuming. And um, I came over to America. I initially came to Michigan. It's a, it's a long story, but then I went up to Chicago and then I, after a few months, came up to Pittsburgh and I enjoy, I like the feel of Pittsburgh and just simply started all over again and finally found myself in the winters doing Florida for the last 30 years and I've made a nice living out of it and it was the toughest decision I ever had to do because mm. I didn't know it was in for my future. I got on a plane and took my chances. but. It's, it was nothing compared to all the people a couple of centuries prior to that from anywhere in Europe to come over 15 years old on your own. They're the people that I admire and, and they are the people. They were the best of the people and they've made it like the country that it is. Good, good, good words and thoughts. Um, that was very brave of you to, to, to do that. I, I don't know if I could, if I could do that. But well, it, it, as I said, compared to the other people that had much more hardships than I, it was sort of small. But 380,000 people left Ireland in the 80s, and uh, that's like almost 10% of the population. So it was a huge exodus. That is huge. But ironically, um, Ireland benefited from that. Initially, they didn't with the brain drain, etc., and the, the young youth drain. But a lot of those young people went back and they improved Ireland. They're now, a lot of them, back in Ireland. And my nieces and nephews, I'm glad to say, thanks to the American startups with Google and Facebook, etc., they're all over there in Ireland now as the, as the European base. And the Irish took to high tech uh, 
like ducks take the water. So all my nieces and nephews are flying over there and um, they have the, the wonderful luxury of living their lives in their own country with their own friends and grow old. That's one of the things I miss, sort of my friends as I, you know, the weddings, the funerals. Sort of. Sure. Okay. That's the cost. That's, but then the gain is like, I know that I'm living in the greatest country in the whole world and I'll, I'll fight anybody that says the opposite. Uh, it's it's been incredibly kind to me, and the decency here that I've gotten back from people is is simply beautiful. And I, as I get older, I appreciate it more and more. Oh, so so true, so true. Thank you, but Kyle, I'm I'm going to uh, stop us here for a moment so that uh, we can take a break and. Uh, listening audience when we come back we're going to talk about some of the things that Cajal has on his plate including his return to Punta Gorda in March so hold on don't go anywhere we're going to be back in just a moment this is artist Tanya Gant and I listen to where we talk art back. Thank you for that message, Tanya. And the listeners, you can see some of Tanya's work by going to her Facebook page. Tanya is spelled T-A-N-J-A, no Y, G-A-N-T. And this is Victor Gartner, your host to Where We Talk Art. And our guest today, as you know, if you've been listening to the first half, is Cahal Dunn from Ireland, who's been living in the States here for 30 years or so. And when we left, we were we were saying that we were going to talk about the new things that Kahal is working on. And in particular, he has a book that he has written. So Kahal, why don't you tell us about this story that, you know, the, the, the time, okay. the place, the main characters? Yeah. Um, thank you, Victor. The, the book is called Athen Rye. There's an iconic Irish song is possibly the second most popular song other than the anthem in Ireland called The Fields of Athenry. And it talks of a couple that uh, fell in love just prior to the famine in 1845. And the famine hit and the potato failed and he was caught stealing food to try and save his family. Mm. And for that, he got sentenced to the penal colony of Botany Bay, the new uh, English colony in Australia and um, she hoped and prayed that he'd come back uh, but about 180,000 or so women and men both English and Irish were shipped over to the new colony they needed labour desperately over there um, for about 100 years from about 1845 on and less than 3% made it back wow. and um, I, I, in my prime, like the last, I, I was driving 40,000 miles a year all over the country doing shows and things. Uh, you have lots of time, imagine, you know, and I always thought that would make a marvelous movie story and that book, the love story. Um, but I can't do a movie. So, but I did, uh, I can write a book. So about five or six years ago, I started researching the famine. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know that much. 
and I I wanted to sort of start the story, the love story, and then the gentleman in Australia, and I was I was putting bits and pieces together, researching quotes, etc., um, and for example, I came across on Google. Uh, there was one gentleman, he was an English convict, John Acton Roth was his name, and there was a microfilm available of his journal that he wrote hmm. four-month trip from England to Australia at that time. He was shipped over for seven years, uh, and it was available in the National Library of Australia in Perth. And I called them, and I said, look, I'm writing this book, and da-da-da. And they said, oh, sir, it would be very expensive to uh, go in and you know, photograph that and then send you a file. And I said, well, look, um, I was reading on your mission statement that um, it was uh, your very um, uh, want to highlight the plight of the indigenous aboriginals. And I said, I'm uh, my story brings in the aboriginals and their spirituality and their music and culture. And I said, in a very positive way, would you please go to your superior and ask them, would they make an exception? And a week later, I called again and they said, yes, we'll do it. So they sent me over the file in faded sepia. You, you can imagine it was difficult to read. Oh, I bet. But I, I, after a while, you sort of get used to it. And I had an exact account of the ship, the crew, the food, the treatment, the time, the weather. And I had a, a, so therefore it was historically accurate. Yes. Sam and I had historically accurate. The only problem was he landed in Perth, which is on the West Coast, and to have any chance of escaping, he needed to get to Sydney on the East Coast so so he could uh, get a ship to San Francisco, which was the only way to get out at the time. So I had to figure out how to get him from A to B, and that's huge amount of desert land, and nobody ever at the time survived, went into the desert and made it out the other end. So it was all very fascinating uh, research, and I was just writing down bits and pieces. Um, but then COVID hit, and we all got shut down, literally. Yes, on the we 12th, did. The 12th of March, there about two years ago. So I just came home. There was literally nothing to do, and I just sat down, and I got out my pen, and I wrote the book. Um, and uh, with great friends, actually, I had a, a lovely friend in, in Florida, Judy Savala. She's a retired librarian, creative teacher, writer, and she was hugely helpful with uh, me sort of polishing the book, if you will. And um, I sent it over to uh, Ireland, and thankfully, uh, I got a call from a fellow called Noel Pearson. He's the biggest producer over there. He won a, an Oscar with um, Daniel Day-Lewis with the movie called My Left Foot. Oh, yes, that said, was a good movie. He, it was, yeah. He said he'd love to do it, a, a Netflix miniseries of it. So I was thrilled, of course, you know. Oh, I but bet. Then he said there's a lot of work to do before this happens. So truly, I'm, I, I, I would love if it were to happen. And if it did happen, I would love if it happened before I kicked the bucket, you know. Right. But it would it would make a nice mini series because it's starting off in Ireland. Um, it starts with the love story and the music, and uh, then the sad part of it was that the famine never needed to happen. There was plenty of food for everybody, but sadly the English wouldn't share when it, it sort of Ireland had the calamity of the blight of the potato. Yes. So it it's sadly. Uh, about two million died, two million emigrated or so. Um, ironically, that's why the huge um, Irish 
diasporas all over the world because of that, interestingly. But um, then when he goes on the ship, of course, the book goes into two parallels. Moira trying to survive with their son, Tomás, against all the odds in Ireland. And Liam trying to survive. Um, he was a brilliant horseman and a, a musician, tin whistle player, and his survival in Australia. And both of them developing mentally, intellectually, of course, with the wider uh, sights and experiences and his obsession to make it home to Moira. And um, if anybody was interested in reading it, it's a, it's a very nice um, history of Ireland without being too uh, dour. There's some great characters introduced with good humour to lessen the awful times. Uh, and um, it's available on Amazon and Kindle. And it's also available on my website, kahaldun.com. That's C-A-H-A-L-D-U-N-N-E.com. And um, I'll be down in, in Florida, in Punta Gorda, in January, February, and March. And we started a choir, Victor. It's our sixth year. Uh, and it culminates in a, a nice concert um, on the 4th of March in the PGICA Centre on Shreve Street oh, yes. um, at 7 o'clock. Um, but if anybody listening would like to join the choir, we have rehearsals uh, every Monday at the Centre on Shreve Street starting on the 16th of January from 4.30 to 6.30. And we do about eight or nine rehearsals and then do the show. And we have we learn eight songs in eight weeks, which is very very ambitious. <laughs> it is ambitious, <laughs> but yeah. there are no auditions. There's no stress. We just sing for the joy of it. And I already have produced practice CDs. Uh, so, for example, if there's if somebody is an alto, uh, we have the mix, and her line with the mute is is way higher, so she can hear it and she can also have the sheet music, so she can learn it in her own time. Uh, we have sopranos, altos, and men. And we usually have about 40 people in the choir, and it's lovely. That's a good-sized choir. Yeah, and we, and we have plenty of men. We have lots, loads of laughs and camaraderie, and we sing um, Queen, Africa, James Taylor, Doris Day, everybody, you know, everybody needs a lover. And uh, it's 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 not sort of your granny's choir, as we say. We're doing pop and rock and country and good stuff, and we sing to the tracks. So the choir, sorry, you you get tracks as close as the originals, and it's a lovely. There's a lot of oomph in the choir, other than you know the usual piano backing. So it's it's great fun, and um, it sounds like fun. Wants, yeah, if anybody wants to join uh, for the for the arrangements, the music, the rehearsals and all that stuff, it's $100 for the whole thing. And the music and the practice CDs are now available at the centre, the PGI centre and on Shreve Street. Uh, you just go to the reception and you'll get your music. And if you, when we start on the 16th of January, uh, if you don't like it, you'll get your money back. And we, we have never had anybody that said, this is not for me once they joined, you know. That's great. Now, is yeah, this is this going to be a one night only show, or is this going to be repeated a couple of times? Um, sort of. Our mission is actually once we we do that because that's the big show. Uh, but we go around to um, 
retirement centers that do not have any entertainment budget and we just go in and sing for the fun of it and sing for the people we sing at a couple of vet centers there um if anybody knows a center that's you know not sort of spoiled for entertainment and they can't afford entertainment we would consider doing a show for you uh, there for free of course it's yes. just a little it's just a little give back from everybody and honestly even though people think we're entertaining them we get way much more out of it in our hearts <laughs> than, than they do but they don't know that well i think that's wonderful that that you are willing to do uh shows at, at no cost for people who uh, or organizations and places yeah. that that can't afford to have uh, quality entertainment you're going to provide it gratis that's a wonderful thing and usually uh, victor there are more of us than them you know <laughs> <laughs> but we we don't mind and um it's also a little uh little reminder to us how fortunate we actually are you know yes you are you are blessed in many ways and i think we we all are after you know after the hurricane we we've, mm. we've, we've count our blessings in many ways Sometimes yeah. you, you take those little things for granted, but now you look you look at it from a different point of view and you say, yes, we're, uh, yeah, we're it's blessed just people. Literally, literally uh, one is lucky and one isn't. It's, it was very uh, whimsical, let's say, it's tragically. It was. Yeah. It yeah. Was. Well, Kyle, you have been a wonderful guest and we had a, a good talk today. I'm so glad that you had the time to, to be with me and to... Um, have some entertaining things to say to our folks who are, are listening. And uh, once again, folks, uh, there's a good book out there that Kahala has written. And as he says, it's it's on Amazon and it's on um, Kindle. Yes, Kindle. Sorry, sorry. So uh, you can download it instead of buying the book if that's yeah. that's that's your thing to do digital books. Athen Rye, A T H E N. Or why? Athen Rye. Right. And and the uh, the show with um, choir play, that's going to be in March sometime. Is there a specific date? Yeah. March the 4th at the PGI Center uh, on Shreve Street at 7 o'clock. And do they have to get tickets beforehand? Um, if they wouldn't mind, they just call in. Yeah. It's, it usually sells out. Sort of. There's about seats 250 people. Right. So um, we... Uh, I would suggest you get tickets before that, yes. Very good. Basically, basically, Victor, uh, the choir comes on, we do, we sing the eight songs, take a break, and then I come on and do an hour myself. Wow. Yeah. I, I've seen you on YouTube. You are <laughs> quite the entertainer. Well, um, I, I, I also, I, Kathleen and I, we, we love Punta Gorda, and I wrote a song about it, and I'll send it to you, and you might, you might put it on your podcast, maybe. We will put it on the podcast. Right. Good stuff. I promise you. Yeah, okay. Good stuff. Thank you so much once again for being here. And you have a blessed day, my friend. Thank you, Victor. And Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. And listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We know that your lives are busy too. And we appreciate your time and your support. Until we meet again, be well.
for some sunshine down 75 Cross that old Peace River and I just smile Thinking endless sunshine, no nine to five Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 